Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved. I'm joined by a very special guest, somebody I've been looking forward to chatting with. Dr. Jessie Rubin is joined us today. She is from Atlanta. She has received so many incredible, how do I say, accolades. She is a reproductive endocrinologist and a fertility specialist. And as I said, I've listened to interviews and I've read so much about her. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. Dr. Jesse Rubin, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm just so excited to be here. I mean, I think it's such a hot topic. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but it seems like for me and the listeners are familiar with sort of my journey with fertility and in the last four years, it's been, it seems like, I don't know if it's because I'm going through the same journey that all of a sudden you start to find how many people are going through this, but it really just does seem like there has been a huge influx of women going through fertility struggles. There really has been. And I think that's for probably a couple of different reasons. I think first and foremost, we as women are starting to delay when we're having children and we're focusing on our careers And we're trying to make sure that we feel professionally and personally and spiritually ready before we decide to have children. And so we're not having kids as young as our parents and our grandparents and prior generations. And I think for that reason, we're seeing somewhat of an increase in infertility. I think also we have started to become a lot more open as women and a lot more vocal about our fertility journey. And I think you've probably noticed, I know I have amongst my friends, when somebody mentions their fertility journey, it all of a sudden opens up to several women talking about a similar journey. And so I think it's also just become more of a common thing to talk about. It used to be almost, I hate to use this word, but maybe almost considered a little bit taboo to talk about fertility struggles. And I think now it's a lot more accepted. Yeah. I love that you're saying that because I totally agree. And absolutely. I feel the same way anytime the conversation comes up and it's sort of the floodgates open and you start Mm -hmm. to, I mean, when I first started sharing this back in end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I was surprised, completely surprised at how many people responded to my newsletters about what I was going through with stories of their own, you know, and I was just so shocked at how many people I knew had gone through the same thing or were going through the same thing. And I also feel the the same taboo feeling about it. You know, I, 
I think about my grandparents or my mother, you know, there was this sort of, when we were having the conversations about the fertility stuff, like how back in the day it was, you know, oh, it was almost like you shouldn't have waited so long to get pregnant. It's like the onus is on you. It's your fault that you're not, because you decided to focus on your career. You know, she wasn't saying that to me, but we were just sort of talking about the different dynamics of the times, you know, back even in the 70s and 80s, you know, like you wait until after your 30s. I mean, there's also the, to me, the thing I have the issue with is any pregnant over 35 is considered a geriatric pregnancy, right? Like, why? You know, like, what? why is that? Exactly. And everybody hears that number 35 and it's kind of been ingrained in our minds that you need to have kids before 35 where you're considered geriatric. And while the age 35 is important because when women are over 35, it does increase the risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, and some pregnancy complications. Most of my patients are over 35 years old. And so it's very common to have that, you know, quote unquote, geriatric pregnancy. But more important is having a woman who's overall healthy and taking care of her body. Because if she's healthy, she's more likely to have a successful pregnancy at any age. Yeah, no, I love that. And part of your specialty and one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about on the show was the process of IVF or assisted reproduction, right? Like what is that process and and what does that look like for women that have the ability to do that as a way to conceive? Yeah, and so IVF is one of those things that I'm glad people are talking about more because it sounds really, really daunting and intimidating until you actually hear about it and you realize it's not as bad as you probably thought it was going to be. So IVF is a good option for some women who either are struggling getting pregnant naturally or are there's a problem with their fallopian tubes so egg and sperm cannot meet up naturally or they're trying to do kind of a branch of IVF which is just freezing their eggs and doing fertility preservation. So the IVF process takes about two weeks in order for a woman to take medication to try to have her body be overstimulated to grow more than one egg. After about two weeks of daily medications, we do what is called an egg retrieval. It's a surgery where a woman's put to sleep and vaginally we're able to take the eggs out of the body. If she chooses to fertilize eggs, they get fertilized that day and then they can grow in the lab for up to a week. And so the IVF process is very manageable to do. It involves a couple of doctor's visits, maybe three or four during that two weeks of medication for the IVF process, and then the visit for the actual egg collection. But women only have to be out of work one day, which is the day of the egg collection. And based on a woman's personal fertility journey, it oftentimes can be a very good and very successful option for treatment. We're also seeing a lot of women that are doing IVF and multiple IVF cycles in a row in order to do something called embryo banking. An embryo is just a fertilized egg. And if women are in their mid to late 30s or beyond and they know they want multiple children, they'll actually do a couple of IVF cycles back to back in order to get 
enough fertilized eggs or what we call embryos for the future. So they're not just actually planning for their next pregnancy, but hopefully for additional pregnancies even down the line. Because we know the older we get, the harder it is to be successful with IVF. Yeah. I mean, what is the pro like, is there a sort of age limit where you would see maybe the possibilities of this process working for people would be less successful? I mean, I would imagine the older you get, the more complicated it might be. Yeah, it typically tends to be the older you get, the harder it is to get good results with IVF. And we start to see changes in both the health and number of eggs people will grow starting in your mid thirties. And then in your early forties, we see a little bit more severe diminishing of the egg number and the egg quality. And typically once you reach, you know, your early forties, 43, 44, IVF really becomes a challenge. And so if somebody's thinking about IVF, it's always good to make an appointment with a fertility doctor just so that they can get assessed sooner rather than later. And since no women are alike and we don't all have the same egg number based off of our age, the numbers may vary a little bit based on somebody's individual testing. Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much answered the question that I, I had about what role age plays in this process. The other question I have pertaining to this that, you know, a lot of my friends and, and I have discussed is the sort of like a success rate of having one to two to three cycles. I have a friend who did eight cycles of IVF until it finally worked. I have a couple other friends that did it on the first try and they were mm-hmm. successful. Is there any sort of rhyme or reason to what you've seen in your experience? I have. And typically the younger the person is, the better they'll do because their eggs are healthier. Also, the better their egg count testing is, or something we call ovarian reserve, but you can check with a blood test and ultrasound to see what somebody's egg count is. And the higher it is, the better that they do. But you really describe it well when you say that not everybody's journey is the same and not everybody acts like the statistics. If they did, it would almost be too easy, but each case really needs to be treated as you look at each individual woman and if they have a partner, the results of their partner screening as well. Yeah, so what are the options for male infertility and how that plays a role in the conception process? I'm so glad that you asked that because we spend so much effort focusing on the women And oftentimes people forget to ask if there is a male partner and forget to have them do any of the testing as well. And I think that partially comes from the fact that men are not as affected as women are by age, but we do start to see around the age of 45 for men, some increased risk with future offspring. But we also know that about 20 to 25% of infertility cases have some type of male factor component. So I think it's really important, even from the initial visit when we're assessing women, that we ask if they have a male partner, and if so, their male partner also needs to do some testing. Men are able to make sperm every couple of months, and so that's why the age doesn't play as much of a role, but it also means that if there's any abnormalities that are detected, you wanna know about it sooner rather than later, because it can take a couple of months to treat it before you ever see any improvement. 
Wow. And what does the treatment for that look like for men? It depends on what you find. So it can be everything from taking a multivitamin to adding in some extra hormone medication to sometimes even requiring a surgery that's a testicular biopsy in order to go and extract sperm. So the field of male infertility has actually developed more than most people would expect over the last several years. And there are a lot of different types of treatment options. So it's important that men do baseline screening with a semen analysis, just like it's important for a woman to do her baseline fertility testing. Yeah. Wow. That's really great. And what about for women in fertility as well? Like what are the processes to begin to sort of help with, you know, is it a dietary thing? Like what really is the, the corresponding treatments for infertility for women? How can we sort of, um, yeah, help the process along? Yeah. I think the first thing is having an education on when should I see a doctor? And a lot of times people don't really even know what does infertility mean and how is it actually diagnosed? So infertility is actually defined differently depending on a woman's age. And so if a woman is under 35 and they've been trying to get pregnant for a year or longer, it really necessitates coming in and meeting with a fertility doctor because statistically they should have been pregnant by then. It's about a 20% chance of pregnancy each month if everything's healthy and normal. So if women are under 35, they've been trying for a year and they're not successful, it's really the right time to do a workup. Because we start to see that as women get older and they reach their mid-30s, and I can't believe I'm saying mid-30s and older because I fit in that category as well, but from a fertility standpoint, we are a little bit older, then we actually recommend doing a fertility evaluation if you've been trying for six months and you haven't been successful. And that's just because we know it becomes a little bit harder the older you become. It's also important to keep in mind that if you know there's a problem with your fallopian tubes or you have fibroids or a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome or anything is abnormal in your history and you're not having regular menstrual cycles or there's something that has you concerned, you can always go and meet with a fertility doctor sooner. I think we often see the mistake that people wait too long to meet with a fertility doctor as opposed to coming in too quickly. So I think when thinking about how to optimize chance of pregnancy, the first is to kind of know, do you fit in that normal parameters or do you actually qualify as infertility? And if you're under 35 and have been unsuccessful for a year, if you're over 35 and have been unsuccessful for six months, or there's anything you're just worried about, you should check in with a fertility doctor and do some baseline testing. It's also important to make sure that you're taking a prenatal vitamin when you're trying to plan to get pregnant and also that you're leading a healthy lifestyle. I think it's important to have good nutrition. It's important to be a normal weight and to have a really good exercise regimen in place. Pregnancy puts stress on the body. And so we really want to have women as healthy as possible walking into the pregnancy, because this way they'll be more likely to have a successful and uncomplicated course of pregnancy and postpartum course. Wow. That's such great information. Thank you for giving that timeline. I know a lot of the times conversations that I've had with women who have gone through the same thing, the common theme was always, I waited too long or I didn't, my doctor didn't know what to 
that couldn't give me any answers. I mean, I, that was one of the biggest things that I struggled with when I went to see my doctor was, oh, you know, it's okay. It takes longer than a year and then a year in, okay, now go see a fertility specialist and going to see a fertility specialist and then doing all the testing and then having my fertility specialist say like, oh, we don't know what to do. Like that I have no answers for you with everything that was going. I had a low ovarian reserve and there was really no other sort of like diagnoses, right? Like there was no other, no PCOS, no fibroids or anything like that. It was just, they had no explanation. Hey fam, this holiday season, I want to give the gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and truly unique. I really love giving thoughtful gifts. That's why I'm gifting everyone I love StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious moments and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter the most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? And after one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. If you recall, I did this for my family last year, and it's still something that my aunt talks about to this day. She always refers back to it, and she pulls it out every time we're up there to show us and to show her friends how beautiful this keepsake is and how much it means to her. Now, I know our time with our loved ones is precious and valuable, and we don't know how much time we actually have. And it means so much to me to be able to share these precious moments, these precious memories with the people that I love the most. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love the most a thoughtful and personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com forward slash loved and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com forward slash loved to save $10 off of your first purchase. This life is about making memories, not acquiring things. I think that, you know, depending on the person and, and their own individual health and whatever, for whatever reason that's happening, what would be the options for someone say that, that doesn't have the egg reserve that they would need in order to conceive on their own or even with IVF. My fertility specialist basically said that she wouldn't recommend IVF. And sometimes if women have a very low egg count, sometimes they're not a great candidate for IVF depending on how low their egg count is. And the reason why is if the egg count's very, very low or close to zero, you might not grow any eggs in an IVF cycle enough to make it to be successful. And so there's a lot of different options of what you can do. One option is always to try and see how you respond, depending on how low the egg count is. You can always try IVF. Another option for women who have a really low egg count is sometimes they respond really well to oral medications like Clomid or Letrozole that can be combined with insemination. So even if they're not a good candidate for IVF, which is trying to get you to grow a whole lot of eggs, they might do well with insemination medications that are only trying to get you to grow two or three eggs. So that's always an option. And then I always keep as 
A third alternative would be something called donor egg therapy or donor egg treatment. And it's something that's become a little bit more common and talked about on social media a little bit more, but still I don't think it gets all the attention that it deserves. And donor egg therapy involves using eggs from a donor woman who's typically someone very young in her 20s. And then those eggs can be purchased, fertilized with partner or donor sperm, and then a woman can carry a pregnancy. And I think there's often a misconception that the only women who use donor egg are women who are in their late 40s or early 50s. And that's actually not the case. I have a woman who is low 20s who's gotten pregnant with donor egg. And I have a woman that's 54 who's gotten pregnant with donor egg and all the different ages in between. And I think it's important to remember that even though there are traditional statistics of how women's egg number declines with time, not everybody is exactly like the statistics. And for whatever reason, they might have a very low egg count and it might be appropriate for their age or might be diminished for their age and you just might not know why. But donor egg is another option that helps people build their families. And I think the biggest message overall is, although it can be really intimidating to sit down with a fertility doctor and hear what might be wrong or what might not be a normal result, it's really helpful because there's lots of different options that are out there and there's lots of creative ways to build your family. I can probably pretty much guarantee that none of my patients when they were younger and envisioning building their family, most of them did not expect that they would need to reach out to a fertility doctor in order to help create that goal. And it's important to keep in mind that everybody builds their family a little bit differently. There's lots of creative ways to do it. And depending on your personal situation, we can normally design something that helps you reach those end goals, even if it's not how you originally thought pregnancy would happen. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, it really is such an incredible way to support women out there who maybe feel helpless or hopeless or don't even know where to start. I remember I felt like that. I just wanted to reach out to other women who had gone through the same thing, but because it is something that not anymore, but even a couple of years ago, it was still something that felt very much taboo and and not everybody's comfortable talking about it. It's such a personal, such a personal topic. And I still, I'm, even though I've talked about it publicly, I've written about it, I've done articles on it. It's still something that's very personal. And I'm, I'm always happy to talk to other women who have gone through and are going through the same thing, but it definitely is one of those. It just, I think it's important for women to feel supported and to have the information. And like you were saying earlier to educate and just know what the options are so that you don't feel like you don't. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, if you want to have a family, I I like what you're saying to create your family. Like there are different ways to do that. And I think it's so incredible that we have amazing doctors such as yourself out there doing this type of work. One of the other things that I wanted to sort of tag on to my last question was how do people afford to pay for fertility care? Like how do people, what would 
a normal round of IVF cost and what are the costs involved for people to go through a round or two? Mm -hmm. And so I think financial barriers tend to be one of the biggest barriers that we see when it comes to fertility treatment. And what's interesting about it is it really is somewhat geographic dependent. And so depending on where you live, you might be in a state that has mandated fertility coverage. And so some states will give IVF coverage, some states do not. We're also seeing that more and more employers are starting to cover the cost of IVF as well. I've noticed it a lot lately with my patients who are either working for a company that's on the West Coast, those tend to be you know, very good at supporting fertility coverage and even some of the bigger corporations as well in the local Atlanta community. And so even though financial barriers tend to be one of the first things that make people afraid to even seek the initial consultation, you might be surprised by the number of people that are starting to get coverage for fertility treatment. And that's both for IVF as well as just egg freezing. A lot of companies are starting to cover egg freezing as well because they want their employees to be focused on building their career and their professions and to not feel that pressure to have children right away. Typically the cost for cycles will depend on if there's insurance coverage or not. And also it does depend on what area of the US that you're in. So some geographic locations seem to be a little bit more extensive than others. We actually offer at our clinic, RBA, Reproductive Biology Associates, it's part of a network called the Prelude Fertility Network. And there's discounted rates for egg freezing anywhere from around $9,000 to $11,000 per cycle. And then we also offer discounted rates for IVF where people can even bundle multiple IVF cycle packages together if they know that they might need to do multiple cycles and it's a way to have a little bit of a discounted rate. There's also loan programs that we get people in touch with and some other financing options because it's really unfortunate when people cannot do the treatment that they need because of financial constraints. So we try really hard to try to work around it so it's not a barrier for somebody moving forward. Yeah. Well, that's so great. It's great to hear. And it's good to know because I know that there can be some major financial constraints. I mean, I, uh, fortunately, both my partner and I, even though we're self-employed, like we had planned on going through this process, but at the end of the day, like it is something that is a uh, concern, right? Because how long, how, how is this going to, how long is it going to take? How many cycles am I going to have to go through? Am I, you know, it, it can be extremely, not only energetically taxing, but financially taxing. So the fact that there are programs out there is, is super encouraging. There is, there's also a lot of grants too, for a subset of women, but I do a lot of care for women who get diagnosed with cancer and their cancer treatment will prevent them oftentimes from getting pregnant. And there's also grants out there as well that can help provide financial resources. So whenever a patient comes in, we go through their history and see, you know, what they might qualify for or how we can help them. Cause we don't want that to be a reason why people can't go forward with treatment. Yeah. What made you decide to do this as your specialty? So I think ever since I was young, I always knew I wanted to be a physician. My father was a urologist. 
His father was a general practitioner. I have several family members that are physicians. So it was something that I think I always knew I wanted to do from a young age. And when I went to medical school, I was doing all my rotations and I used to joke, I'll do everything, but but I don't want to be an OBGYN because I don't want to deal with hormonal women. And it's funny because I thought, oh my gosh, I, you know, I don't know how helpful I'll be able to be. Pregnancy is such an intimidating thing. It's such a hard thing to help get people their goal. And funny enough, I went through my rotations and I think it was immediately on my infertility rotation, I realized this is where I want to be. It's so important to be able for me to form a bond with my patients and know that I'm helping them achieve something that was such a struggle. And I know how stressful it is for them before they ever walk in the door to meet me. They've already been through a journey and it's already been a hard process. And so my job is really just to get to know them, figure out where I can help, how I can help take the stress off, and then how we get them pregnant. And the best parts of my day are always when somebody graduates and they're pregnant. And I say, all right, come back to me with a baby. I'll see you in a few months. And patients are often afraid and nervous to leave because we follow them so closely in the beginning. But for me, it's such a joy to know that they've graduated on from me because they've gotten to be one step closer to what their end goal is. And I love it. I love when people, you know, send me pictures of their babies and bring back their babies and they're ready for another one. One of the joys of telemedicine has been doing consults and having my patients be at home, some of them, and I get to see the babies that we help create and they're coming back for another one. And it's just, it's so much fun to be able to see women be successful. And while it's such a hard journey, I think it's really called a journey for a reason. Because for most women, it's not an easy thing. And there are bumps along the way. But most of the time, we are able to achieve that success at the end. And there has not been a day where I've ever doubted that I chose the right thing for me. It's the best job in the world because it's not a job. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm having fun and making babies all day. And it's just, it's just a great feeling. It's a lot of fun. That makes me so happy. I mean, it really, truly, truly does. And I am so grateful for people like you that exist in the world. I mean, you guys are truly angels on the planet. The work that you do is just, it's a thankless job, even though, you know, I'm sure that your people appreciate you, but at the end of the day, like you're doing something so incredibly powerful and moving for so many lives, the lives you're changing, you're turning people into parents and the little beings that get to come into the planet. Like this is such an incredible, incredible job that you do. So thank you for doing it. I do have, I'm trying to, you know, keep track of the time. I always do this. I have so you gotta keep me in line. I know. I, where can people go for more information or if they want to maybe schedule a consult? I mean, do you take, you know, regular patients? How can people reach you for more information? Absolutely. So I have patients from all over, all different states. And telemedicine has actually made that very easy to do initial consults. They can go to our website. The practice is called Reproductive Biology Associates. 
but the website is www.rba and then ibf.com and they can go there register and i'm happy to meet with anybody give them my initial thoughts even if they want to seek treatment closer to home i can help you know tell them what tests they need to do and get everything started so i think the hardest thing is making the initial consult i know um, i've been through egg freezing myself and even knowing all about fertility the hardest thing was deciding to do it and i think once people can make that initial consult you're one step closer to your goal and that's so important i also really like if people are reading online we all love looking at dr google but you have to be a little bit careful especially when it comes to the fertility world because it's very biased so there's one site in particular that i typically recommend that people go to it stands for ASRM or the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. But if you go to www.asrm.org, what's so great about this site is you'll see a box that says for patients. And then you'll see a box that says for physicians. But if you look on the left box that's in blue for patients, they give you all the information that you would want to know about basic fertility testing, but it's all been screened by physicians. It's very easy to understand. It's written in a way that's geared for patients. Sometimes you look at medical literature and it's just completely in jargon and you can't understand a word of it, but this is designed to be easy to be comprehended and it's just accurate information. So I'm a big fan also, if you're doing the research, which we all do, go to www.asrm.org, look at their patient information, and it's a really good place to learn more about fertility. Oh, thank you so much. That's uh, We'll add all of those links to the show notes. If you're watching the video, we'll add it below to the description. If you're listening to this podcast, wherever you get your podcast, it'll be in the info button of this particular podcast. So you can scroll down and check that out. I do have one final question for you mm -hmm. and it's pertaining to this podcast and why we created this podcast in the first place, because we believe that we are radically loved and radically supported by universe, God, source, whatever higher power you believe in that the universe works for us and not against us. And so the final question to you is how do you feel radically loved? I love that, that the universe works for us and not against us. And I think we see that by looking around in the world uh, and the environment, all the support of friends and family, especially for people going through fertility journeys. But, you know, we don't operate as independent beings. I think we are so shaped by the environment we were raised in and the community that's around us. And we're empowered to make the decisions and put ourselves where we want to be. And we are influenced by our environment but also able to put that influence and that love that we receive out there for those around us. And I feel fortunate to be in a community that's supportive and loved and just feel like everything works out how it's meant to work out. And I talk to my patients all the time, but I say, it's gonna work out and it's not gonna be necessarily how we expect it, but we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, wow, that was a journey. And it might've been difficult, but you were loved and you were supported throughout that journey. And I think that goes along with your message. Oh, I 
I love that. Thank you so much. Dr. Jesse Rubin, everyone. Thank you so much. This was so incredible. What an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Please come back and see us again. This was so much fun. And everybody listening to this podcast, if this brought value to your life, please let us know. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts or share this with a friend who you think might really benefit from it. Or if you know somebody that's going through infertility, please send them this information. I think the more we know, the more encouraged we can be and the more positive we can stay in our own healing journey. So thank you all so much. And thank you, Dr. Jesse, for being part of our Radically Loved community. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.